0: Welcome to the Good Rookies Podcast. My name is Fahim.
1: And my name is Nellie J, y'all. And we are Good Rookies. That's right. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Happy Good Tuesday. And guess what? It's episode 90. 90. 90, y'all. Nine, Fahim, 90, bro. What?
0: 90 straight weeks.
1: 90 straight weeks. So, y'all, as you know, we always bring you the hottest guests on the podcast today. And tonight, there's no difference. We have an amazing guest coming back. Fahim, please introduce who we got.
0: That's right. He's coming back like he never left since episode 12. (laughs) Uh, He's definitely an OG. Like, that's when we're little pups in this. And I feel we got enough under our belt. But uh, he's someone who... Has kept up with us, and we've kept up with him, vice versa. And we got something in store tonight. Um, Let's welcome Aaron Manswell to the podcast today.
1: Aaron, what's good? Aaron, 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 (laughs) Aaron. 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 I'm so proud of you guys, man. The
2: growth, the growth is exponential. I love it,
1: (laughs) Bruh, Like you saw us, we were actual pups. Like episode Mm -hmm. 12, we're new Mm -hmm. in the game. Now you're back for 90, Aaron. Mm Oh my, so much has changed since like. (laughs)
2: <laughs> episode
1: 12.
2: Well, my my question is, what are you guys going to do for the, hun- the 100th episode? Like, is there, like, a, a big celebration? What's, what's I, planned? I,
1: I don't even know. Listen, we'll, we'll be outside, right? We outside. <laughs> Who knows, man? Who knows? We might do something special still. Mm. Maybe go to a, a, a... Maybe do something I wanted to see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We got yeah, to figure it out, though. Show? We got to do a live new? show or something. Yeah, we got to do something yeah. out, but... <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I like
2: that. Yeah, I, I love it. Man.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, well, we're gonna highlight you more in for the culture, but Aaron, you know, um, you had to sit through this uh, this transition year as a Raptor fan, right? And mm. thank you for sure for coming through Raptor spaces. You've been even there from day one. You've seen the growth there as well. So and Clubhouse too. So, what's your thoughts on the transition year for the Raptors? This is pretty much last year was more of a. We weren't in Toronto. So I think it was our first year mm-hmm. without Kyle Lowry. What's your thoughts on looking back on this in the season?
2: Man, I I you know what? I think I'm gonna start off with the expectations that I had for the season. Uh, the expectations that I had for this season. And you can actually go back on my Twitter feed and, and check it out. I said we'd finish sixth in the East. And I know that's a lot higher than a lot of people had them. Um, but the main reason was because. I, I saw that we had OG, I saw that we had uh, Pascal, and I saw that we had Fred. And to me, the core of those three, with the, with the kind of experience that they had playing together, I said, we're the sixth best team in this conference, you know? Um, everyone was saying, oh, Chicago, you know, they got all these all-stars. Um, you know, Boston kept their talent. Uh, who else? Philly. This is before, you know, James Harden came through. Um, you know, all these other guys were were better than us, but I thought that um, with, you know, with the addition, of course, of Scotty Barnes and everything like that, um, I thought that we would definitely be um, at least amongst the top six. Fifth place, I didn't see coming. To me, we overachieved. Um, and I do think that we're in an amazing spot going forward. I did see someone like, I think it was Barkley said something like, we're kind of in a no man's land space or something like that. And I said, this guy's crazy. Like, mind you, he's someone I respect as far as following the city of Toronto. And, you know, he shows a lot of love to Toronto. But that take kind of threw me off. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think that we are in an amazing position. I, I'll, I'll leave it there for now.
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, I think we're similar because I had us um, landing in six as well. Like, I had us in the sixth seed. Uh, only because I did have, at the time, well, before season started, I did have shot Chicago above us. However, I felt that we would surpass the Pacers, um, the Knicks, and Atlanta. That's why I had us in the, in the top six. So mm-hmm.
0: I had How, uh, how, how about you, Fahim? Yeah, I had us uh, like six, seven, somewhere around okay. there. Um, same deal. We definitely did overachieve. Uh, we made big strides with Scottie Barnes, especially early out. Um, yeah. So I, I guess we got to be happy, at, definitely for the future. What Barkley is saying about us being in a, a no man's land, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> I do think that uh, having uh, Scotty Barnes um, over the next few years, I think there's going to be a ton of growth there. And maybe doing something that we haven't had as a franchise is really getting a top 15 player. Outside of Vince and Kawhi, we really haven't had that kind of talent. So uh, I think our, our future is definitely bright. Precious, like the list goes on. This is just a, a great team. And we have uh, a lot of options also. So if, if Masai needs to make a trade to get something better, we're, we're positioned nicely. So,
1: and, and to add to what you said, and Aaron said, I think this is, I'm in a place where we're having Scotty Bards and doing you know what we did with our young talent. I think we might get some people willing to come here. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I just think that we struggle. I don't think, you know, we're not going to get no hardened caliber type player, but I do think that on the market, our franchise is looking quite (laughs) taste, like quite like appeasing. You know what I'm saying? Even though, and of course, the country and all this stuff is, is a barrier, but earth, like the world's getting smaller. You know what I'm saying? And, um, yeah, I don't know. I think we might get some players coming here that wants to play in Toronto and I have to beg them to come. We're not even, like, in the past. So, I don't know. I feel like we might be seeing a change in the guards here for free agency. I'm hoping you see that in the pop season.
2: Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. Um, and, you know, Scotty Barnes kind of strikes me as that, like, you know, that LeBron-type player, meaning LeBron, meaning, like, in terms of the relationships he has around the league. You know, every, it's, it's funny, every rookie player that came from his class, it's like he's all like boys with them, like he's been boys with them for all these years and stuff. And, you know, that has me thinking, hmm, maybe three years down the road, let's say Cade gets upset in uh, Detroit or Evan Mobley, you know, things don't work out with him or they don't build properly around him in Cleveland or even Jalen Green, he gets tired of losing in, in Houston. Let's say he's looking to... To come in and, and win in Toronto, right? Like we already have that reputation in the league. We already have that that type of you know San Antonio East type of uh, type of thing. So it's like um you know and and I do think more players like you said Nellie J I do think more players are starting to respect the city a bit more um just for what it is. Like that that whole thing about Toronto's cold and Toronto's this that like that's a thing fine but players want to win first.
1: So mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. Shout out, Cash. Let's talk about it. (laughs) So
0: so let me throw out a a question. Uh, There's been like a coaching carousel happening. Uh, We're on the offseason now. As we know, um, Nick Nurse, he's been in a lot of talk of possibly with the Lakers. Uh, We don't know where these stories come from. As he said, also, Masai addressed it at the end of season uh, press conference. And talked about how, you know, he dreams of, you know, uh, Messi and Ronaldo. So do I. <laughs> so, I want them on
1: our team somehow. <laughs> right.
0: So um, with that being, and even going in, we, we knew, we, we felt very confident that there was nothing behind it. Um, but now is a time where there's a lot of teams that may have underachieved. And coaches are possibly going to be moved. Um, so I just want to go over some coaches. And kind of see where your head's at in regards to if you think they're gonna go and what thoughts you have on them. All right. Um, you know Let's start first with uh with Brooklyn. They're the biggest disappointment, I'd say, because they got swept. Wop, you, might have some,
1: wop, <laughs> wop. you might have
0: some 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 things behind that. But uh Steve Nash, this is two straight years of pretty much early exits in the in the playoffs. Uh just real quick. Uh, Aaron, uh, what you got in regards to, uh, Steve Nash, uh, him staying, going, just give him a great. Uh,
2: I, I think Steve Nash stays. Um, I don't think that he's been given a fair card, uh, in regard to last year. Um, you know, last year, what happened with him? He, he had, you know, three of the most amazing scores ever. Sure. But, um, two, two of them were injury, injury prone, um, and he didn't he didn't get to see Harden. Harden got injured, you know, um, in that in that second round. And uh Kyrie wasn't playing last year, right? If I'm correct.
1: He played the first round against Boston and then he got injured right. game two or game three against Milwaukee. Right. So
2: right. So um you know, and then of course you would say this year would be the year that people would people would judge him based off of, but then he had Kyrie for half half the year. So it's like you know, then James Harden left, so it's like I, I don't really know. I mean, people people are saying tactically he's not the greatest coach. Fine, but I just don't think that he's been given a fair like an, a fair enough chance yet. Um, I say one more year for him, one more year to see what he can do with with just Katie and Kyrie, um, and Kyrie for a full season too. Yeah, that's that's my take on him. Now, mm. DJ.
1: Yeah, um, great question for him. <laughs> guys, when we saw that Kyrie couldn't play for more than half the season, we should have just packed Brooklyn up then. And I get it, right? I think fans are so... Like, listen, guys, I love Katie. I think Kairi's a great player. But there's, o- there's only so much... Like, they're not Superman. They're not Iron Man. They're not Thor. This isn't the Marvel comic books. They're not going to come and beat Thanos. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is not going to happen in real life. So I just think that... The expectations for Brooklyn was way much was too high. You know what I'm saying? Like 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 people thought Raptors would have been uh an 11th seed and uh, but people thought Brooklyn would be a first seed. And I think people just over expected from them based on Kevin Durant. That's it. I heard people say, "We don't need Kyrie if Kevin Durant's on the court, you know. We we would sweep the Raptors." You know what I'm saying? Like craziness, absolute like madness. So I think Steve Nash had to deal with all of those expectations, number one. To Aaron's point, yes, I do think he deserves another year. But I also think that you put any other coach with experience, like give them Nick Nick Nurse on Brooklyn this season, I think they're going to push Boston to at least six, seven games. Are they going to win? Probably not. But I think they're not going to get swept. I just think that Steve Nash has never coached before. He has no experience. And when you hire someone who has never been a head coach in college, any other level, and their first coaching job is in the NBA, coaching the top talent in the league, this is what happens. So I just think that, am I surprised for him? No. He's supposed to be bad. Like, I think I'll be bad at a job myself if I started this job to your, like, for the first time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he's supposed to be bad. He's supposed to be like, I saw Steve Nash closing on a game with Patty Mills, Goran Dragic, and Kyrie on the court. And I said, what, what are we talking about, guys? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this is someone that has those experience. I mean, keep in mind, Udoka coached with him last year. Keep in mind, he had D'Antoni with him last year. Those guys are no longer with him. So he had uh, other great coaches as coaching along with him, giving him the, the wealth of knowledge. And this season, he didn't have that. His, his coaches weren't that weren't as great, and we see Yudoka, how great he is as a coach. So I just think that head coaches' job is to manage the team, but I think assistant coaches they're really important, and that's why they like they're undervalued or not looked at as much as the head coaches. But they're they're very important. So yeah. I think Steve Nash will get one more gear. Hopefully, he hires some better coaching staff. But I do think not having Kyrie there and Ben Simmons, I mean what 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 can Katie do? You know what I'm saying? So it is what it is.
0: Aaron, I'm going to give you a chance to punch in. I know that she had a lot there to unpack, and I think you have something you want to reply to something. Real quick, before I give mine, go ahead. I'll let you punch in. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I I think um, that's that's one thing that I uh, forgot about was uh, Joe Harris. You know, he's, he's, to me, as much as we love Katie Kyrie, and Ben Simmons, like he's a big piece as far as what Steve Nash, or the way Steve Nash coaches as far as like, you know, the spreading of the of the system and everything like that too, um, but then I also wanted to say, just watching that Boston to Brooklyn series, Katie he didn't look like himself, um, health like health wise. You know, I, I I agree. I was I was watching his lift. The fact that you know, I mean, yes, Jason Tatum did grow a few inches over the past few years, but the way the ease he was blocking blocking his shots with is not normal um, in terms of the jump shot that how high Katie gets on his jump shot. And so, you know, those things for me, like you, you can't hold Steve Nash accountable for, accountable for all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm Fahim, you can jump in.
0: (laughs) Okay. No. So um, I do think that with coaching, uh, coaching, it's a lot of about adjustments Mm -hmm. and with Steve Nash, I just got to, let me, let me ask this real quick. Say for instance, with, and I hear with Joe Harris, I hear um, no Ben Simmons, you know, like he was dealing with a depleted roster. I understand that, right? I do think, though, it's a coach. I like saying it's about adjustments. Say you were to have, I'm just going to throw a coach off the top of my head. Say um, Nick Nurse, very respected coach. With Nick Nurse with that same squad that's depleted, do you think that they would have got swept?
2: That's for you, Aaron. I. I don't think they would have gotten swept. Okay. Um, Yeah. Okay.
0: So to ask that, so that's what I'm saying. Like um, uh, certain coaches have certain things in their bag in regards to,
1: um,
0: you know, like adjustments and things. And I just don't know if Steve Nash, we have to admit he was a celebrity hire. That's just a fact. You know, he hasn't really had um, any experience as a GM for Team Canada. Yes. But I mean, in regards to a bench boss, just because you, uh, for instance, Phil Jackson is great behind the bench, but as a GM. It didn't really, it didn't really translate, right? So, um, mm-hmm. I do think that with Steve Nash um, as a coach, especially coming in with this situation where he had a ton of talent, I'm not expecting him with a depleted roster to make the finals. What I am expecting him to do is at least be able to steal a game at home, you know, and and actually show something from a coaching standpoint of his value. I don't see it. Um, and it happened last year also, this is supposed to be his year to actually get over that hump and prove people wrong. Um, so, I mean, we'll see what, where this goes, goes going forward, but I do think that um, Steve Nash will stay another year because he's Steve Nash, and his 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 uh, his rope's going to be a, a little bit longer.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a great point you made because, Fahim, I'm curious, right? You made a statement about you felt that they didn't... I don't know. I feel like... I don't know if Steve Nash has has it still. Like, I feel like in that moment, you're you're supposed to be able to rally your team to at least, like, have pride. You know what I'm saying? Like, have an identity. I think it's crazy that Brooklyn still has no identity yet with Steve Nash as a coach, right? So to your point, Fahim, as a coach, yes, you can't... Like, Boston's a great team, but you should be able to steal one game. And there were moments where it was close. They were leading, and they just couldn't close it out. So... I just don't know if Steve Nash has has it. And again, the head coach, sometimes the most powerful coach isn't the head coach, it's the assistant coaches. And so that having Yudoka, that having D'Antoni, who are seasoned coaching for years, I just think that Steve Nash just may not have that impact anymore. And we all have our thoughts about Doc, but at least Philly has that where if they want to defend, they, they defend Doc Rivers, they want to win for him. I don't know if Steve Nash has that energy. I don't know.
2: Aaron, you got it. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that um that if they were going to steal a game, it was game one, right? Do you remember how they lost game one on that, mm-hmm. that Tatum yep. layup? layup yeah, right? crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, it, like that's one of the wildest finishes I've ever seen. Um, but I will say that to me that, that loss really is not Steve Nash. Um, I think just as a – mm-hmm. that, that assignment was actually KD's blown assignment. Uh, if you look back at the replay, and to me, it's like, you know, Katie, you, you got to be, you got to know what to do defensively there. Um, I, I guess team agreed. defensively, agreed. Um, agreed, more more than it is on Steve Nash.
1: And to your point, that reminds me of Steph Curry when he kind of stopped John Morant's layup in Game One of, of their series, right? And and Steph stepped up as a defender. So you're right. Like, I don't think you can blame Steve Nash for the entire series, but. As a coach, to point, you got to make adjustments. You have to make your players believe that they can actually win it. In Game 4, y'all, I'm like, Brooklyn, they're not into it. Mentally, they weren't there. And that, to me, is a coaching issue. I'm sorry.
0: I got three other coaches. Let's make it quick and just say, yes, he's coming back. No, he's not coming back. Cool. Okay? Atlanta, Nate McMillan, they last year had a good run. This year, not so much. Uh, he, much like uh, Steve Nash, can use injuries and just not being a healthy squad. Also, kind of inconsistent. Um, apparently, he's not too. Uh, the people wearing thin on him in Atlanta. Uh, Aaron, do you think he comes back, Nate McMillan?
2: I, I think I think you give him one more year, but 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 <laughs> there is like an, an amazing crop of coaches, uh, free agent coaches. And it's not like Atlanta was amazing this year, where they can just say, "Oh, well, you know, we love what Nate did." If they keep him, it's based off of last year; it's not based off of this year. And there's a bunch of coaches you could try out, like you know, like there's um, Adrian, what's his name from here in Toronto? Griffin. Well, Griffin. No, actually, he
1: he's he, he's not a free agent, but but people have to ask Masai to talk to him. He's not a free agent. That's all. Okay,
2: right. Okay. Yeah. But, right. So, but you know, I've, I've seen his name just all over the place over the past like
1: Yeah, yeah, because the Lakers like want, the, the Lakers called Masai and asked him if they can talk to Adrian.
2: And yeah, Masai so yeah, granted it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Masai granted it.
2: Right. And then there's like the Mark Jackson, Mark Jackson's. There's the, um, Dantoni. I I still don't know why his name is being thrown out. I think he's trash. Um, <laughs> who else? Uh, there's a, there's, what I'm saying is there's so many options out there for them to. Mm-hmm. I
1: want to hold on to it. yeah mm-hmm. uh nate mcmillan you get the deuces
2: really wow
1: yo you well, enough chris brown listen uh yeah he's out and not because I, I just think that for atlanta just hearing the atlanta fan base and how they responded to nate is not me like me, me looking outside in like i have my opinion i think nate should get another year uh only because i feel like he dealt with a lot of injuries his GM did some weird trades. Like I don't know what's going on, but they have something that could work there. But I just think the way the fan bases were bl- blaming him for their obvious loss, because I don't know why people think the Hawks were going to be a final team this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I just think that he might get he might get the boot. The mm-hmm. boot he might get it.
0: Okay, and I'm I'm gonna go with I think they should give him another year. I think he's a good coach, um, but we'll see. Um, another one. Vogel, he's out, right? In LA,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been fired. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's so, the most controversial coach of the year, right? So just give me a name. If you're the Lakers, you're uh, you're Bus or Kurt Rambis. Um, who are you putting in in LA to a uh, quote uh, or coach? I put coach in air quotes. LeBron.
1: I'll, I'll, I'm hiring whoever LeBron does once, because once that person fails, I can blame him. That's me. Mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm JD. I'm, I'm straight. I'm straight good. Because if I pick a coach and they don't like him, they blame me as Genie Bus. So if I'm Janie Bus, LeBron, who do you want as a coach? Okay, okay. So then once he fails in that realm, he 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 can't blame me or anyone else. But then as a GM, do you put that risk again because you did you went with him for Westbrook? That's tough, man. I don't know. That's why you
2: I'm shaking my head. <laughs>
1: you, you, like like to me, you can't win with LeBron. You just can't win as a GM or a president, the owners. You can't win with. You can't win. It, it, he brings a lot of money to your rep to your to your team, but Lord, expectations are high for 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 uh, that team that he's on. Mm-hmm.
0: So here's what I do find interesting. Uh, so we just talked about uh, Brooklyn with uh, their lineup of uh, KD and Kyrie, and now like. And Nash, he was a, like a like I said, a celebrity hire. He came in with zero experience. And they actually went through this whole, we don't have a coach. You know, it's the three of us that are coaching type deal. Um, in LA, find LeBron. Um, he's another person who never, through his career, never really worked with like a Hall of Fame coach. You know, he's always had to groom people and give people opportunities to coach with LeBron. So, I do think the next coach of the Lakers is going to be someone who probably was an assistant elsewhere, has no, no experience, uh, makes it easier for LeBron to... Um... Control? Yeah,
1: <laughs> Demand? <laughs> Get his way? He was like, I don't want to come off this way, but...
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Fahim, so... you took LeBron's head, and walked him down this path, and then pushed him in the back over the cliff. <laughs> That's exactly what just happened. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, oh man, I, I guys, I I not even tell you um, what needs to happen with LA <laughs> just based off of what happened this season. I think, like my one of my best friends, he's a he's a huge uh, LeBron fan. So wherever LeBron goes, you know he he follows them. Yeah. And they're called the I'll Lakers. You,
1: they're called the Laker fans.
2: I I, 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 don't, I don't even think we deserve to call them anything at this point because they're, they're borderlining on like Dallas Cowboy fan base um, levels at this point. For real, they are.
1: Um, but, but it's
2: like, but no, but the, the Lakers, they need a complete overhaul. The, everybody they hire, uh, like, let's look at Polinka. Like, Polinka's not even a, like, who, who, he was an agent before he became. Yeah. Like, That's I'm right. not saying that, like, they don't hire people that have pedigree, right? Kurt Rambis is making decisions for you. Like, like hire people that have done it before, especially if you if you consider yourself a model franchise. Right now you're running out like the Sacramento Kings. So, Yo,
1: Aaron said, fire everybody. Wow. Yeah,
2: fire everybody. <laughs> all over again. Like, yeah. you can't trust LeBron anymore, especially if, if LeBron, like, LeBron's supposed to be one of the highest IQ players in the league, but you're, but you're bringing Russell Westbrook <laughs> to your team. That doesn't make womp, womp, I, womp. I don't know, man. I, they need a <laughs> whole, like, a complete overhaul. I, 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 that's all I'm going to say. <laughs>
1: I'm crying. All right, Fahim. Who's the last coach we got on deck for today?
0: Um, last one we'll go with is...
1: In... Utah? That Utah, one? Utah. Okay, we'll go so to okay. Quinn
0: Snyder. Utah, let me just say this real quick. Utah, they're um, a team that's always knocking on the door during the regular season. People want to kind of believe they're contenders, but just in the postseason, never seem to get it done. Quinn Snyder is somebody who's... You know he's he's made a name for himself. You know, like in G League, uh, just kind of a low-key, underrated coach. Now he's on the radar. Um, does Quinn Snyder come back? Now I'll 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 start with this. Just say this. Um, I don't know if we could blame Quinn Snyder if we're giving Steve Nash, that guy. Um, they from a personnel standpoint in Utah, I think they're kind of a mess. I don't know how Donovan Mitchell and Gobert can play together. I don't know if you guys heard the stat that uh, Donovan Mitchell, he averages two passes, not two assists, but two passes a game to Gobert. As a guard in your center, as a combo, to get two passes in a game, um, that's got to be on coaching. You know, you got to make sure that you are doing the right thing with the personnel. So with Quinn Snyder, good coach, um, but I think the personnel uh, is not working for him. So I do think he's coming back, but... Um, I'll land there. Aaron, what do you got?
2: Uh, for side so, yeah, if I go like, extensively talking about Utah, I'd be cheating myself because I, I don't watch that team. Um, but, but I do know enough about Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell to know that it's not working, mainly because of, I think, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, I've always said that I think the Jazz will go as far as Donovan Mitchell becomes as a player mm-hmm. um and i do think that rudy gobert he's kind of like he, he's not going to be the guy to lead you anywhere like he's he's a great complimentary piece mm-hmm. so should quinn should quinn snyder be judged based off of donovan mitchell's talent is how i'm viewing it the answer the answer is no um do i think that there's somebody in there that can or somebody else that can come in and bring the jazz to maybe a conference finals Sure, but then what's the point in that, right? You're trying to win a championship. Um, So I do think that they just need more talent overall. Uh, Does that mean they have to trade Donovan Mitchell? Does that mean they have to, um, you know, package Rudy Gobert with somebody else? I don't know, but it's not going to get that much better unless they get more talent. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. No, AJ? Yeah, so Quinn Snyder, as she said, he's not coming back. So this this is... Yeah, yeah, he's coming back. Yeah, he's not going back. It, It was reported, like... And that's why folks said that he might go to the Lakers. But he said that because of how they've treated Vogel um, after the season, he wouldn't want to go there either. So he's also going to be a, a coach that will be available um, this, uh, this offseason. Um, so, yeah, he's out. But I will say I'm not going to blame Quinn for this season. Like, I think you both made all the points I was going to make. Rudy Gobert, David, it wasn't working out. Um, and also, they don't, you can't have one of the best, I guess, interior defenders and have no perimeter defense like none like it don't make no sense like it's like either either you're a defensive team or you're not and I think the issue with this team is that their identity has always been mixed no like like no one knows who they are are we a, an offensive mammoth team or are we a defensive mammoth team and they've been just in the middle that's why they always do well regular season but it can never equate to success in a playoffs because it's a battle right um they don't look at defense the way Woody does. So Woody's trying to get defense, make stops, and Mitchell all could about shooting and making – Like it, it's just th- their mentality of the team, the identity, the culture, they got none of that, nothing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's been their issue. So when they get a coach that can create a culture, an identity, get them all on the same page to understand, hey, you don't play defense, but in the fourth quarter under two minutes, if you don't play defense, David Mitchell, I'm pulling you out the gate. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So we need someone l- like that on Utah and they don't have that right now. So I won't blame coaching is a bit of coaching and personnel mentality. They they had good pieces, good moments, but they never had killers. And I will say this, if you want a championship, if you want to win a ring, you need at least one or two killers upon the team. They don't got to be the best players. They're just so determined that they make everyone else around them believe. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So they never had that. So sorry, Utah. But Snyder will be out of there. And I'm curious to know where he's going to go on for him. without the Lakers, I would have wanted him. But Quinn said the way after they treated vocal, he said, I want that smoke.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I don't want that Mm -hmm. smoke. Nobody would. So, (laughs) yep. All
0: right. So, Nelly J, you want to go to For the Culture?
1: For the Culture. We like to highlight individuals for the culture. And today, we get to highlight composer, competition winner. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Doctoral student, songwriter, music director, producer, y'all. He does it all. And and, and he can sing, y'all. And he can sing. Uh, let's oh, pick man. it up for Aaron Manswell. Right. Aaron. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, Aaron, it's so great because you know, people don't even know that. Like, you're such a like chill, humble man, but you do so much stuff for the culture in the music world. Like, you've produced mm pop, like, like R&B, like for like one of, for our favorite artists. You've also done things where you've created compositions for sport moments, right? Like the whole quiet shot. And then Mm -hmm. I saw that you actually won a Canadian wine composition competition with your new work that was inspired by gospel and civil rights. And that composition will be featured or premiered this month, y'all, May 28th. At the concert at Saint Peter's Lutheran Church in Kitchener. So, Aaron, talk about your journey from student to composer to singing to now directing music, and of course, how's it feel to win a Canadian-wide competition as one of the top composers in the country? Your thoughts?
2: And that's that's a lot. That's I mean, thank you, L.J. <laughs> I, I didn't even think of myself like this until you put it so eloquently. Honestly. <laughs> Um, but no, nah, I, I want to say that a lot of it just started, you know, um, of course, going to church. You know, myself and uh, Nelly J, we actually go to the same church. So, you know, she, she probably just saw me when I was younger, just writing a whole bunch of songs, trying to get stuff out as much as possible, creating little groups and stuff, trying to get music out. But yeah, I'd say that's where it started. And then just trying to find a way to um, express that academically, too. And so that's where, you know, the, the thought of studying music came but then also um, finding a way to, you know, because um, if, you, if, if, you, if you decide to pursue music academically, you'll realize that that world is very, um, it's filled with a lot of, just like a lot of classical music, right? And so um, myself who didn't grow up in that tradition, um, it can be kind of tough sometimes when you're realizing that those Genres that you grew up with, uh, listening to like R and B, like gospel music, like jazz, all those other type or styles of music aren't as respected in that space as classical music. And so, um, you know, that that was my whole reason for even wanting to pursue a doctoral degree, which I'm which I'm doing right now at U of T. Um, I remember telling them in, in the interview, like, you know, guys, I I love that. Um, you know, it seems like Toronto is a very diverse place, but, you know, U of T, I, I think uh, would be the perfect place to, to start accepting like, you know, more black styles of music, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, while I was or while I'm pursuing my, uh, my doctoral degree, one of my professors, he brings, um, he brings to me a, uh, a competition and it's called the Grand Philharmonic Choir. Uh, which is a choir based in, a professional choir based in Kitchener. And um, they are, they hold a competition every year um, for composers who are age 30 and under. And you pretty much write a song for the choir. And there's a jury of three, I wanna say three professors from all around the country. And they decide um, just based on, not even based on knowing who the composers are or anything, just looking at the sheet music Uh, which song they think is the best fit for the choir and yeah luckily enough um out of a a record I think it was 26 or 27 applications uh my song actually won and so I'm just I'm just happy for that mainly because the style that I wrote the piece in was a was a combination of gospel music and classical music Mm -hmm. but it's the gospel music that I grew up on right there at um the church that we both grew up um, Apple Creek um, just l- hearing all that stuff growing up and and being and and having it be respected in that space to me is a big deal um so hopefully the choir can can really like find a way to to make it their own and, and capture the style that i'm I'm trying to push forward within that space especially within Canada because mm-hmm. Canada needs to me more gospel music and more of that that sound even if it is within classical music too so yeah
1: Guys, this is, like, I'm like, this is such a, like, you're a trailblazer for Black composers in Canada, bro. Like, absolutely. <laughs> like, there needs to be a freaking, what do you call it? Is it a star for him? What do they have on, um on, what's it called? On King Street for him? You know them starting on the street? Whatever it's called. But you know, a starting for Aaron Manswell, on the street down <laughs> King Street, boy. Like, for <laughs> real. This is crazy. Like, honestly, yeah. I'm so proud of you. Like, I see what you've been doing. You know, I'm always supporting you, picking you up, but this is why you're for the culture because you're doing things that I think people don't, don't, like kind of take for granted or they notice it, but they don't take time to actually sit and be like, wow, like he's actually creating a whole new space for Black composers. And you're at U of T, which is the top school in the country as well. So um, mm-hmm. as like, like having a doctorate at that school, that's very prestigious in our country, like equivalent to the Harvard's of the States, like, it's mm. huge. It's huge. So mm. I'm. Thank I, I you, mean, that's you. why for the culture. So, sorry, for him, go ahead, bro. No. So Aaron,
0: <laughs> um, two part. Just real quick. First is, what's a very layman's term uh, definition of a difference between a composer and a producer?
2: Mm. Man, I'm so happy you asked that question because <laughs> no, for real, man. It's 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 simply because just from what i researched being in all these institutions and stuff like that there really isn't a difference the Mm -hmm. only difference the only difference is that I feel that well let me say this producers are composers um but composers might not necessarily be producers right producers when you think of producers we think of like you know Timbaland we think of um you know Scott Storch we think of uh, Swiss Beats you know, mm. all, all those legends like that, all those legendary beat makers, right? Yep. But then they're also responsible for, you know, making sure that the song itself gets to the point where it needs to be. Like the Kanye making beats.
1: West, Con- I think Kanye- Kanye's a great Sorry, composer. I, I don't know why I forgot producer. Kanye. Right? Yeah, he's one of the. I think he's a great one.
2: Yeah. Right. So these, so, but but these people are also composing because they're creating the sounds, they're creating the sonics for for the record, right? Um, the composer to me, it's like it's it's a very fancy name and and for some reason people only view composers as people that write classical music
1: and that are white people or white
2: exactly Mm -hmm. and and so these producers that we all grew up on these black producers need to be called composers if that's the case as well because they're probably infecting culture way more right now than say the box or the Beethoven's or the you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, the reason why you can't call a composer a producer is because, actually, uh, actually, you, you uh, probably so ask you something
1: a... because, like, I, I yeah. thought composers create scores of music, so like they actually like I thought composer was the process of creating that music. So a producer's exactly. process is like they create it with a, a different style. Where the composer typically they're writing music. It's, it's like a. Di- I think I thought composer was more of how the music is created so you compose the music or you produce it but to your point it's pretty much the same functionality just it's different terminology thing. as to how you're doing it yeah
2: it's, it's the same thing um, and, and for some reason people people at least from what i've i've seen they they have like a certain level of respect for composers more than producers and i think mm-hmm. that's wrong i i yeah. do think that i do think that those who make beats and and are in charge of of, of putting out pop records should be respected as much as those who are writing sheet music—it's just two different languages of putting exactly. out this, of putting out music.
1: Bingo! Mm-hmm. I, I think that's why the languages, styles of languages, why they're called composers or they're exactly. called producers. But I also think it's a form of of making because a lot there's been a lot of great Black composers, but they've all been labeled as producers. So I'm wondering if it was a form to always make them feel inferior to the comp- composition right of other. Because remember, like I don't think a composer of classical music wants to be called the same thing as Timbaland or Pharrell. You know what I'm saying? So it could be a be. form... No, I agree, but it could be a form mm. of just like mental like blockage of, well, we don't do hip-hop, but hip-hop is music. So, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like Listen, a, a, a very old this, school mentality.
2: A lot of this uh, music terminology is is very racial, racially yes. based.
1: Yes, undertones. Yes, I agree. Very
2: racially based. Mm. Great so question. Composers, are, composers, pr- producers are composers. I'd say that, yeah.
0: And uh, last part is... What is it, you being um, a young urban Black male um, in the realm of, like, composition, what is, is there some experience, like, you create your 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 music off of your experience of what you've been through, um, so I'm just wondering, is there anything um, in being a Black male that you can, in through music, be... Uh, different or like would be different than say for, for instance somebody who's um, maybe white from um, you know a completely uh, different um, background they'll go off their experience you know what I'm saying I guess my question is is there anything of the black experience that you can actually put into music that would actually um, you know like uh, you understand know, like
2: yeah so no, there... I, I fully understand I, I fully understand what you're saying um so just, just even going back to um, growing up in church, and, mm-hmm. and mind you, a lot of people grow up in church, right? But they don't grow up in the Black church. The Black church teaches you um, something, that, something that you can't really, like you can learn it through um, just being in it a lot, but just the fact that we grew up in it and it, it, it kind of becomes a big part of us, it's, it's improvisation improvisation is something that I think, I don't know if the black church knows how, how important it is in terms of music making, right? And improvisation means, okay, um, you know, you're, you're on the piano, like for instance, I grew up on the piano playing and then all of a sudden this other person wants to go and sing in a completely different key than I'm playing in. All of a sudden you gotta find that key that that person's playing in, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that, that teaches you on the spot music making, right? Then, um this person wants to go and 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 like you they give they send you the song to learn th- for the week you learn the song and all of a sudden um they break off into a new song and you got to figure out what song they're in and what key they're, they're playing as well and they want to change up how they sing this the melody of the song too as well so those different things that you learn within the black church are so useful in terms of making or writing music that you don't even realize it until you actually do it because you realize that your the counterparts that you grew up or that you're in school with or even just making music with, they don't have those skills because they didn't grow up in that environment, mm-hmm. so, right? So, so,
1: so, Aaron, are you saying that Black people, we just so extra that we just can't, we can't stay in the key. We're never gonna stay on the beat like we're just so extra that you gotta be like, God, that, there, there she goes, oh, there she goes again. Like, okay, Aaron, I, I, I hear you, Aaron. God damn it.
2: <laughs> you, you know what? I, listen, black people, listen, we're we're so interesting. But I, I, I tell you, and you know, another thing, another thing to answer your question to too. Like, there's a certain soul that that um comes with the black experience that you just you just can't explain um -hmm. and i don't want to get into logistics but it's a certain soul that i think we we are prone to in terms of hearing with the music like i i I, I can hear a certain song and just be like you know that that person that wrote that song might be black you know just just Mm -hmm. because of
1: Oh my, Aaron, you're speaking true because there's a, there's a skit by Jamie Foxx in A Foxhole. Great stand-up, yeah. by the way. He talks about, <laughs> he talks about, um, am <laughs> laughing, sorry. Okay, <laughs> so Jamie Foxx talks about how Black people and people that aren't Black were just programmed differently. So like mm-hmm. he had like the heartbeat of a, of a white guy, like doo-doo. Do, do. just like how their heart beats and how if you're Black, they like, do, 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 do it's like, we just have our own. So you talk about how like, like our beats or our souls, like the beat to our soul is a different rhythm. And rhythm, right. there's nothing like you can, you can try to mimic, watch TikTok, copy stuff, but that internal beat of your soul in Black people in our culture, just around the world, it's so different from everyone else. And to your point, it's true. Like you just can't, You can't, like, there's a saying where I can copy you, but I can't be Mm -hmm. you, right? I can't be you. I can copy or try Mm -hmm. to be you, but no one would ever replace Aaron or Fahim, right? So I just think that's important for, you know, a white kid growing up in Waterloo, is not gonna have the same experience as a black kid who immigrated here with his family to a new country and had to, you know what I'm saying? It's like two different experiences to your point, Fahim. So I just think that no matter how much music you listen to of the black experience, you can never be that. You know what I'm saying? That's all.
2: Yes. And 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 sorry to elaborate on your point, Nellie J, too. I you know, you were elaborating on something saying like it's like a certain rhythm that we always put yeah. to stuff, right? And that, that comes from our roots, like that comes from our African roots, right? You listen to the first um or the or you know, early African music, it's all very rhythmic, like mm-hmm. drum-based, you know, there's always a, a beat and a tempo to it. Mm-hmm. And I used to find myself even listening to like when you know the 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 little classical music that i listened to when i was growing up i would always try to put a beat to it right it was never just it was never just like you know the violins and the and the and the brass going off i was hearing all types of drums and stuff like that um i won't get into all of it but mm-hmm. it's in our blood to 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 form rhythm rhythms with everything so yeah right
0: and that's why, with my question, that's why maybe I was kind of struggling to get out. But that's kind of the lane I was going down because I do recognize that um, your experience is going to be different than someone else's experience, and especially in composition, uh, where there's not a lot of Black people. I would just assume that you're bringing something different to the table. So I mean, sure. you did an excellent job of explaining the difference that you are bringing to the table. So that's why you're for the culture, man.
1: For the culture, Thank you so much. bam, bam, bam. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have all of Aaron's information. Uh, His compositions, like he's always providing updates to the artists he's working with, the songs he's working on. So please make sure you follow him, support, like, and buy his music or support his artists that he's supporting or writing music for. That's it. That's it. I'm done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Nelly J, you want to go to That's Absurd?
1: That's absurd. Fahim, bro. What was absurd this week? What was absurd?
0: Canadian national team. Uh, player, he was racially abused online. Um, we'll get into how absurd that actually is and the reason why that's so absurd. Uh, but uh, Mark Anthony K, um, he was after the World Cup qualifying game, um, he was uh, ejected early and after he went online, and he was really getting it from fans apparently, Canadian fans online. Um, that were racially abusing him for getting ejected and possibly costing Team Canada the game. And for that, those fans, it's
1: absurd. Absurd. Absolutely absurd.
0: Completely absurd.
1: Um, and it's the thing about, you know, and I'm so happy we're bringing this up again because people, you know, unfortunately, a lot of our, a lot of people don't know about the racial issue that we have in Canada. And I feel like, you know, if we don't talk about it on good rookies, it, it will not be addressed on other platforms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I have an issue that in Canada, if you're a person of color, if you're in a basketball team or a soccer team, we've seen countless of Black athletes get verbally or Twitter abused, and it's always about race and about what they look like, or it's just very racial. And it's like, as as Canadians, we have to call people out. And you know, right now in America, like, if you're being racially offensive to a player, they find you, they tell your boss, and you will get fired. I feel like in Canada, we gotta do something because at this point, when will this stop? Like, I I think it's an issue. I know we're only 5% Black, but you can't be praising our athletes for making it to the World Cup, but then if they do something that you don't like, you you wanna racially abuse them. Like, that's some BS. So I think it's so absurd. And, and then I think we have to get names tied to these people so, so that they're going to put on notice. That's mm-hmm. all. Go, go. Yeah. That's my thoughts on that.
0: Um, let me punch in here real quick. Uh, I think of this automatically brings me to Pascal Siakam in exactly. a bubble. <laughs> that yes, yes. Exactly. And he went to Twitter and, you know, uh, that happened. It also brings me back to when I was younger, Ben Johnson. Um, when Ben Johnson, before he was, he was Canadian, he's Canadian. And then with the whole, uh, doping situation happened as soon as that then the canadian medium was no longer canadian he was jamaican
1: exactly Um, so
0: when i when i think of uh this situation here and it's kind of ironic i'm just looking at the team picture here um of the 11 players um it looks like i'm gonna count them one two three four five six seven i've got seven seven of the 11 are black players
1: yeah, exactly. It's, be, it's, it's the majority of black people. I don't know. It's got to be uh, uh, uh,
0: historical right now that we've never, the Canadian, Canadian national soccer program has never had so much black people on it before ever. Um, and in the other two, I think they would qualify for BIPOC. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. um, now we're talking about pretty much t- uh, 10 out of 11 players are, you know, BIPOC. And just the fact that um, it, it's really starting to know that the, that there are people out there that, as long as uh, for the for the country, or as long as you play for them, um, they'll back you. But as, long, as, long, as, long, as soon as as soon as something goes wrong, or be something...
1: perfect. Mm-hmm. But guess what? The leaves have flopped how many years now, and I don't see one racial ting towards the leaves. So y'all gotta be right. better for this point, man. This I wonder is why. I, speak I wonder why. Let's be on it. But, but Aaron, your <laughs> thoughts on this absurdity, bro?
2: Um, yeah, no. I was just going to say the same thing as uh, as Fahim with with the Pascal stuff. Um, I remember logging onto Twitter and seeing just just certain things that I I'd never thought that um, would come from Toronto at least. Um, just because, not that I grew up in a um, you know, not, not not that I grew up in a place where where race wasn't an issue or anything like that, but I guess because we're we're finally getting a lot of more a lot more notoriety in terms of sports on a more consistent basis now we're seeing a bu- we're seeing a lot more um, consistent racism if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, it's so global it, yeah and so so that just goes to show me that maybe as like the more successful the, the more successful or success we bring to the city the more true colors the city will, will show yeah. Um, and that's an issue for me, you know, because um we should be able to be successful, but um still understand that people are human beings and we we don't look at them as human beings in Toronto. We look at them as what can you do for us, especially the uh, the right. black players.
1: You're right, because I, I think you can t- touch on this point where when they're playing well and doing well, we love them. But as soon as they make a mistake or they don't mm-hmm. play, God, it's a sport, by the way. First of all, so why are we getting so gung-ho and abusive towards athletes because of a sport, right? Like like, like they're not, number one. Number two is as soon as they do not meet your expectations, you're quick to degrade them and call them. So that's, so to me, you only care about them. It kind of the whole slave mentality of, you know, you got to help us be successful in Toronto. But if we stop doing that, we're going to abuse you. And it's not it's not it's not okay. Like that kind of behavior is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really hope like we expose these people. Like at this point, I'm at a point where you feel me racist towards an athlete, let's find out who you are and let's right. blast your name across the entire social media. This person he works at this company and 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 his statement towards Pascal was this, or you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So I think right. we, we gotta call them out. Let's call yeah. their racist behind out.
0: hundred yeah. percent Fully agree. All right, we can land there. So, Nellie, let's, <laughs> let's
1: put this episode in the books. <laughs> that was episode 90. 90. 90. So, Aaron, you know the drill, Bretta. Please, it's time to give your shout-outs. So, The floor is yours.
2: Oh, man, shout-outs. <laughs> well, shout-out to... Uh, shout-out to... I mean, it's Mother's Day weekend. So, uh, shout-out to my mom. Um, you know, she's... The greatest mother on earth, you know, she uh, is responsible for who I am today, and just my a lot of you know the outlook that I have on uh, just you know life and music and even my you know my faith and God and stuff like that. So, big shout out to uh, to my mom Wendy Hutchinson and uh um and just just pretty much all the other mothers out there um that are making this making this thing, uh, making this thing happen. It's been a rough past two years and everything like that. And, uh, you know, um, it's, it still seems like the mothers are, are being positive and, and, and keeping the juice in society going. Mm. So shout out to the moms. Nice.
1: Love it. Well, my shout out is to you. First of all, big up to you, Aaron, Uh, keep pushing, keep doing what you've been doing. And I want to shout out to all the athletes that are mothers. I just think it's so hard to be a mom and to work, but to be a a female, a a woman athlete in today's society and be a parent, Lord have mercy. Just my heart goes out to them. Um, The WNBA is also premiering tonight as well. So big up to the WNBA. You know, a big thing happened where a lot of the five out of 12 ladies that were that were drafted in the second round did not make the team 10 out of 12 Whoa. in the first round made the team and 5 out of 12 made it that means seven ladies seven women that were drafted in the second round of the WNBA did not make the roster that's just Whoa. how competitive y'all the w a, a, the WNBA is so just shout out to all the ladies who made the roster the ones who are now looking for jobs outside and got kids to feed, just big up to y'all because being an athlete as a woman and being a mother, it's so hard and complicated and it's a lot. So I want to shout them all out today.
0: Wow. (laughs) I didn't know that. So first, yeah, I'll go with the moms also. Uh, Mother's Day, right? Mother's Day weekend. Shout out to all the moms out there. Um, Nellie J, I didn't know that. So you're saying that it's just an assumption that once you get drafted, you would be on a team. I've never heard of being drafted and still having to try out and not making a team.
1: Yeah, the WNBA. So, so the so the WNBA has three dra- rounds, twelve picks each for each team, mm-hmm. and ten players out of twelve made it. Five players out of twelve made it. That means seven did not make it, and I think only two in the third round that were drafted made it on a roster. So this would so, be my question
0: then. So why is it if, because I understand they don't have a lot of teams, right? So there's not a lot of positions. Mm-hmm. I get that. But why would they make so many rounds for, you know? Yeah. Like, so essentially
1: at each team, so like, you know, last year you have your team, right? Mm-hmm. And then this year you draft three players. Mm-hmm. So now everyone's competing for the spots, three additional plus the, the other seven. Remember so some ladies retire, oh. s- s- some ladies get Every. pregnant. Some don't come back. Some are suspended. Some can't play. Whatever, mm-hmm. right? Right? So three – so it's a tryout. It's a tryout. Wow. But remember, in the NBA, we got the G League. So players are right. able to at least so, get drafted. So we should G
2: League in the WNBA then?
1: Well, that, the, the, right. the question – the issue is their salary cap is very low. I
2: right. think
1: in the WNBA, you can only have, I think, a one point – I think two or something like that million as a salary cap. So unless they increase, to your point, a salary cap to say – we, would, we we can draft three, and those three get at least an automatic roster spot for the first year, and then by year two, they have to compete. Like, I did think that I think that we have to give someone a chance. Like, I don't know how they're going to do it. I'm just saying that it's competitive to make it. So the girls who made it, of course, are the best uh, crop of the crop, but there's some ladies that are really good, but this will make it because the team they tried out for can not c- use them.
0: So here's what needs to happen, I think. I think um... – there needs to be a place, speaking of what Aaron's saying, there needs to be a place where uh, women can play if they're not going to play in the WNBA. And I would probably think, why wouldn't another country, like say, for instance, Canada, why not, instead of us talking about us getting a, a, a team for the WNBA, why don't we start a league?
1: That, Fahim, so funny. I fully said this earlier today. <laughs> I was on Clubhouse, big up to Ren, Ren's room today, and I fully said, at this point, why not just have a second Women's b- basketball league because there's mm-hmm. so much talent that doesn't make it in the first that don't, that don't make it to WNBA. Why not have a league in Canada? I fully Fahim, Fahim we're aligned, bro. I have mm-hmm. the same sentiments, and I think mm-hmm. it, it should happen. NBL, definitely. CBL, figure it out, y'all. The summer, is something. Let's do something, man. Cha.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, and my last shout outs to to Aaron Manswell. Um, you're definitely like Nellie J. was saying earlier. You're a trailblazer. Um, I really respect the fact that you're taking a path less traveled. And um, doing it with grace and style. I mean, is, there's really uh, something about being a composer that just, it has, a, it, you know, it's it, it's something, has a like a panache, something about it, you it's know like,
1: what I'm saying? It's like, I have, it's like Manswell, Aaron Manswell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> definitely. Oh, and man. I do think that um, it's not a lane that people go down. And I think knowing that you're going down this, road, you definitely can inspire someone else to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I can do it also. I totally exactly. think so. So, definitely. So, appreciate big up. Yeah, you. definitely. Big up and shout out to you. Thank you. And on that note, Nelly J, I think let's put this episode in the books.
1: That was episode ninety. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, if you had a good time, you enjoyed yourself. Please like, subscribe, and tell a friend to tell a friend. Fahim.
0: Yeah, we're on all platforms. That you're looking for us. That's good. Rookies podcast episode ninety. man's Manswell, we appreciate you coming out, man.
2: And we Thank out. Thank you guys for having me.
0: Peace. Peace. <laughs>